Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Luke Hunt and this is another podcast with The Diplomat. And with us today is a regular, Bradley Merg, who is now an Associate Fellow of the Pacific Forum. And up for discussion is the Cambodian election and more importantly, the transfer of generational power from long-serving Prime Minister Hun Sen to his eldest son, Hun Manet. Brad, welcome to the program. Thanks, Luke. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back. Again. Now, where to start? We've covered the elections pretty well, but uh, to ask the obvious question, how important were the elections in terms of Hun Sen's grand design? Well, no surprises uh, with the outcomes, as we've all been expecting for quite a while now. Uh, I think uh, really towards the end, we saw that uh, Funsen Peck, uh, it seemed, turned out to, to get about five seats, mm-hmm. uh, which, although that also was, was, was not a, a massive surprise, overall, one has to say it's a success for the, prime, uh, for the, former, for the now former prime minister uh, in terms of facilitating uh, a smooth, orderly, um, quiet, essentially, uh, transition of power. Right, now Hun Manette, he's 45, a uh, West Point graduate. He has a PhD in economics from the University of uh, Bristol. There's been some speculation, and there's been some noises from the government too, that they might actually look for improved relations with the United States and the West. Do you think that's likely? We've had the, the, the background and the training, and it really is uh, sort of what you would uh, consider ideal as, a, as a potentially a, a new starting point or uh, a way to uh, rebuild relations, uh, particularly with the United States, that have clearly de- deteriorated enormously uh, over the last few years. So there is a push from a lot of folks to frame this as, all right, this is a new starting point, uh, and things can improve, uh, and we're already seeing the framing of, all right, Cambodia is po- uh, absolutely f- uh, following a policy of neutrality, et cetera, and it wants to build uh, new relations. I think to get into, uh, to move beyond speculation, we need to get into some of the causation uh, within Cambodia uh, mm-hmm. behind uh, what would serve as an actual foundation for, for change. Uh, and I think the reality there is the recognition um, across large sectors, large segments of, of the government, that the country's economy requires diversification. There can't be the same uh, reliance on Chinese investment. And let me qualify that. Uh, When I talk about Chinese investment and Chinese funds in Cambodia, yes, China continues to fund large amounts of infrastructure projects. And we see these commitments, we saw them throughout Cambodia's ASEAN chairmanship, specifically uh, the new highway funding from Phnom Penh to the border city of Bavet at Vietnam. Uh, At the same time, however, uh, infrastructure investment and infrastructure lending is not the only thing. Chinese investors, as, as Beijing and, and, and Phnom Penh uh, seemingly never tire of pointing out, uh, are the largest uh, investors in, in, in Cambodia. However, since COVID-19, um, the expectations that funding, of that money, of that, of that private money coming back, uh, haven't been fully realized. Uh, we haven't seen the inflow of money particularly into the real estate market. That seat is necessary. There have been certain challenges with some Cambodian exports mm-hmm. to China. And at the same time, we also simply have not seen uh, over a year now, a year yeah. and a half since, since, since the kingdom has reopened, we simply haven't seen the return of Chinese tourists. Uh, China's now reopened, and uh, it seems as though every week we'll get someone commenting or an, an op-ed coming out saying, oh, Chinese tourists are right around the corner. Uh, we've seen uh, initial flights did return. 
uh, with the first Chinese tourists, I mean, massive uh, ceremonies at airports, uh, but that's that's all there's been. The numbers just aren't there. Exactly. And uh, one would imagine that when potential Chinese tourists read the headlines coming out of Cambodia, in particular with regards to uh, human trafficking, it's not exactly a good look when you're deciding where to spend your summer break. The media reporting and, and, and the reality of human trafficking uh, in Southeast Asia, and, and I think we have to recognize this as a, as a Southeast Asian problem, uh, not just a Cambodian sure. problem. But uh, the numbers are, and, and despite and there have been strong efforts by the Ministry of the Interior to uh, resolve some of these cases, but uh, the estimates we see uh, from out, uh, entities and governments uh, outside of the country uh, are, are much higher than uh, the level of severity of the scam compound issue uh, in Cambodia. Uh, this doesn't uh, present exactly, oh, a wonderland vacation destination, as you know, particularly uh, recognizing how much Sienicville has played into this story and how much Sienicville uh, essentially has been designed for uh, Chinese tourists coming to gamble, etc. Uh, but you might absolutely have a second choice uh, when you look at crime rates and you look at these other concerns uh, that are all mm -hmm. over the press. And the alternatives, Macau has reopened yeah. to mainland gamblers and that's going to be a big competitive factor for here as well. Absolutely, absolutely. In terms of the cabinet lineup, On Pong Monirot, the uh, former finance minister, is uh, looks like moving into the number two spot. He's a technocrat and uh, I think on the finance front, many are expecting him to um, step up to the plate in terms of uh, foreign investment and what's needed in this country. I, I think his role, along with the with the that of the new foreign minister, uh, both both demonstrate a very strong focus on the economy as as priority one. Right. And uh, when we look at the at, at the minister from from the Ministry of Economics and Finance, um, and we see among the ministries in Cambodia really really excellent. Uh, I mean. Uh, sections of, of, of really strong governance and, and excellent focus. Uh, for, and we can simply, simply looking at Cambodia's balance sheet. Cambodia mm -hmm. does not have the public debt problems uh, that other countries have. Uh, it's, it's sort of the, the classic case of the, the, the Chinese loan debt trap thing, uh, which we all know is, was overhyped, uh, but that this is not something that takes place here. Right. Uh, or this is something that we haven't seen. Cambodia's balance sheet, well, there has been a bit of a, of a deficit over 2023, uh, and I think that's uh, likely to continue into 2024, although possibly worsen in, uh, depending mm. on conditions. Uh, we have seen significant improvements in fiscal governance. We've seen significant improvements in, in, in tax collection capability. Um, we've seen budgets that are uh, kept, well, kept, 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 kept what they're supposed to be. So right. you do have that guiding hand moving forward. Um, that'll be quite, uh, quite yeah. reassuring. But the economy is struggling, and the tax department has been sharply criticised by all quarters in Cambodia in life for being too harsh, mm. too mean, cracking down too hard. Uh, one can understand the need to raise general revenue, but it just seems to highlight the need to yeah. attract more money and to do it fairly as well. I mean, the country has a notorious reputation for corruption, wanted or mm -hmm. you know, whether it's justified or not. But uh, especially when one compares Cambodia with other countries in the region, it's not always out of step on that score. But it's uh, uh, perceptions matter in terms of this country. They do, and so if and I think there's a few things to, that we can we can begin to unpack there. Mm -hmm. um, the first is if we look at the development of the fiscal system, and uh, this is not a short-term process. Uh, Cambodia's fiscal capacity. 
uh, up until uh, it's, today is remarkably different, and its capacity in, in that ministry is remarkably different than it was just five years ago. Uh, building out that capacity is going to take time. It's not a around the corner uh, sort of sort of issue, but we have to recognize the improvements that have come, while also saying there's there's significantly more more work to do. Uh, so I don't see uh, that as a as a particular impediment. Impediment. Uh, I think it, uh, the corruption issue and particularly Cambodia's rankings on the uh, myriad of international metrics, uh, looking at the World Bank rankings, looking at uh, the ease of doing business index. Uh, the Corruption Perceptions Index, yeah, all of these are things that are going to scare away uh, for investment uh, and, 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 and making, beginning to try to make a dent to that and, and whether that's, that's It's possible. also a matter of about attracting them back. Yeah. You know, we go back to uh, well, seven years ago when the exodus really started with a crackdown on the press and the opposition. Mm -hmm. The Chinese came in and the Cambodians were more than a little like ha ha to you the west we've got china mm. kind of thing and now that's sort of gone full circle there's there's, there's it's actually getting them back it's not just a, a, you know yeah. they have left for reasons and they're not yeah. going to come back unless they're satisfied that there's well at least some guarantee on their investments yeah there's there there needs to be a, a wooing and there is a wooing uh, uh to for the foreign business community uh not just I mean, there are obviously uh, organizations here that represent foreign firms uh and there's also engagement through uh with cambodian delegations abroad uh, and i i think we also see that and we're going to see much more of that from in cambodian foreign policy mm -hmm. uh so if we sort of uh, we shift ministries and shift neighborhoods in Phnom Penh, we go over to the ministry of foreign affairs uh, right. And uh, we look at where that direction is going. We, we, we saw indications of this a couple of years ago uh, when the National Institute for Diplomacy and International Relations, uh, which trains Cambodia's diplomats, uh, really began to push much more strongly on economic and commercial diplomacy. Uh, and we've seen that in some of the placements of, of Cambodian ambassadors. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Cambodian ambassador in South Korea is an excellent example of, of having quite a bit of success. Uh, in terms of uh, pushing in a more economic and commercial portfolio. Um, and for a country such as Cambodia, where, uh, that really requires this diversification and, and needs to go to all ports uh, to, find, uh, to find new investment. I mean, FDI is a competition. Right. Uh, that, having that having a foreign ministry that is more laser beam focused on economic and commercial issues is definitely a change. Uh, but in my view, it's very much a change for the better. Yeah, well, speaking of ports, the elephant in the room is... Uh always going to be uh, the Chinese China is always going to be the Chinese funded reconstruction of the renaval base mm. which the Americans have, are claiming is uh, China's number two foreign military base after Djibouti I mean how do you handle that should the, the, the Cambodians insist it's their sovereignty and it's up to them to decide okay fine could you see the day when uh, American ships are invited to dock at Marine? Well, I give it. I I rank it below. Um, uh, I think Gwadar and Pakistan, and, and together with Djibouti, are, are significantly right. more more important uh, than than whatever is whatever is going on at at Reem. Um, there's an element of of Reem, though, as we've seen the narrative evolve over time from uh, this isn't being built to okay, it's being built to okay, it's being built, but it won't just be for China. You can take an aircraft carrier, etc. So it's it's a it's 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 been evolving over time, and we haven't really seen any. Uh, it's it's still a problem, but I, I think it's a problem in the political relationship uh, between the U.S. And, and Cambodia and, and other countries in Cambodia as well. Obviously, Vietnam, uh, mm -hmm. for one, that has uh, expressed serious concerns, uh, and I believe by Thailand as well and others. 
Uh, but I think that the goal of the government is going to be to sort of to keep that issue to one side while it focuses on, on the economic aspect. Why should this be, why should uh, these two issues be intertwined? Right, and it, that comes back to this foreign policy argument in that Cambodia hasn't only upset the United States and the West, it's also got its issues by acting as China's proxy inside Asia. In some respects, it's done a great job uh, shepherding East Timor yeah. into the group. It's one, but uh, its uh, ability to scuttle any sort of agreement within ASEAN when it comes to the code of conduct in the South China Sea has proved quite remarkable over the last 10 years. And surely there must be relations in there that can do with some patching up as well. Um, I think we have to look at it in a few ways. So uh, we go back to the South China Sea issue from over a, de a decade back, uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the issue with the ASEAN conference when, when Cambodia was ASEAN chair, uh, and the inability to, to reach, reach, a, reach a conclusion and Cambodia being the holdout. Um, today, at the same time, I think we have to look at a changing landscape of ASEAN uh, that's not just serious for Cambodia, but for ASEAN as a whole. Uh, the question of, well, uh, previously, is, it, is, is Cam Cambodia China's only uh, voice in ASEAN? Uh, will, are there others? And today, yes. I mean, we, we look at Myanmar, we look at, to uh, some extent, Laos as well, mm. um, as countries that will uh, be able to put forward and occasionally will put forward uh, interests that are more akin to China. Uh, so uh, there, is the, there is, Cambodia is no longer the only, uh, the only uh, game in town, uh, as it were. Uh, in that sense, for right. uh, for the China role, um, Cambodia built a lot of goodwill during uh, during its ASEAN chairmanship. It, As in it, last year, it, yeah, uh, in 2022, um, it was it was carried out very very well. Um, everybody's fears uh, of of South China Sea dominating the conversation didn't happen. Timor Leste. Well, hang on a second. That was China's fears, uh, oh, perhaps Cambodia. Uh, Cambodia's there were, fears. There were a lot of yeah. other people who wanted to see that pushed to the front of the agenda. Uh, absolutely. But I think we're also coming to an issue, though, on a question like South China Sea Code of Conduct, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, which will, con con will continue to be discussed. It will continue to be discussed. I'm of the view that it's time to move on, that it's, it's simply not realistic. I mean, China's made clear that it won't abide by the Hague Agreement. Uh, the Hague ruling uh, regarding the Philippines sure. claims. Why would we expect China to abide by uh, a code of conduct in any way? It's 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 the well, same. My last reading of the uh, Chinese version of the code of conduct is it basically would bind Asian states to an agreement whereby they would not seek outside military help, which would tear up pretty much every security this, agreement this, this, in the this, region. There are, the U.S. has legal, particularly with the Philippines, the U.S. has. Sure. And, and, and I mean, the Philippines being the most 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 straightforward, where that relationship, uh, which uh, is a topic for a different podcast, uh, is uh, since Duterte left and we've had President Marcos, uh, the enormous shift in uh, all, so many pundits saying Philippines was moving towards China, which was, was of course laughable always as a, as a conclusion, uh, but now uh, the Philippines being essentially America's best friend again right. uh, in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, Biden's so, made no secret of that. And, and, and President Marcos got the photo he very much wanted on the White House lawn uh, and the expansion of U.S. base access right. uh, in the Philippines, etc. But let's, let, let's, let's scroll back to, to our main topic and, and, and go back to Cambodia. So it can, it, how that moves forward is, is a question. Anything would be really pure speculation as to whether uh, it's going to be a, a permanent spanner in the works, whether this is simply a, a point that 
uh, will uh, long impede any improvement in relations or uh, whether there's uh, alternatives. But at the same time, I think when we, we go back to the economic realities that, that there are a lot of, of scary indicators out there for the Cambodian economy. And that's globally. Uh, globally, is, I mean, glo we, have, we have global challenges. We're already seeing declines in factory orders and, and uh, employment in the garment manufacturing sector, uh, simply because, yeah, the largest market for that, the United States, um, and as, as, as is always pointed out, the US is, is a larger Im importer of Cambodian goods than the next four or five partners mm -hmm. combined. It's a simply an enormous market for Cambodia. The U.S. does have a role here economically, even if it's not historically been, in, uh, or more recently, been investment. But you have to sell those products to someone, and Americans happen to be the folks that, that, that buy them. So the U.S. has a role as an export destination. Even without, we recall that uh, the GSP, uh, the, mm -hmm. the, the trade status, uh, lapsed um, a few years ago. This wasn't directed towards Cambodia. It was simply not renewed by, by Congress. And uh, in recent meetings between uh, the Cambodian government and, and U.S. congressional delegations, Cambodia has pushed for this to return, um, although I think it's highly unlikely that Congress is going to be expanding uh, trade preferences for anybody in, a, in the run-up to an election uh, in, in a year or so. Uh, so probably not, not possible. But the need for diversification, the need for uh, investment is going to become greater. And, and we keep seeing the concerns on the China side. I mean, uh, nearly uh, hardly a day passes without more bad news out of China. And particularly in the, 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 the possibility of China going into deflation, moving, I mean, the, the number of moving parts in the, in the, in the, in the China economic story is, is, is simply massive. Uh, but seeing, yes, then. One, one of the stories that surprised me was um, having done a lot of work here in Sinopville, and there's, as we know, there's more than 1,000, 1,100 abandoned, half built skyscrapers down there. Now these stories are starting to come out of China, where you have entire cities. Yeah. Well, seeing so, you know, eleven hundred is a lot. I mean, it's um, it, it, there's an argument here. Like, when is the Chinese money coming back? When are we going to sort out legal issues regarding ownership of these properties? Where in China, if it's eleven hundred here, it might be. 300,000 buildings there. That, that yeah, the scale of, and, and, the, and we are at different points, I mean, Cambodia and China. So there's, there's some parallels between uh, their, their challenges. Both operate very, uh, where China, some, some of the uh, research work done on the Chinese construction real estate market is that in light of China's now declining population, uh, there mm -hmm. is simply no more demand for, for, right. for, building, uh, for building these massive, uh, massive skyscrapers and, and, and residential complexes. For, for, for whom? I mean, for, for a yep. declining population. Uh, but they serve as an investment vehicle. There are very few investment vehicles in China, uh, and there's an estimate, and the, the structure of how these things are, are built. The Cambodia very much follows the Chinese model of you buy um, before it's built, mm -hmm. uh, and you wait. And historically, people saw this as a positive thing. Okay, I can get in at a low price, and it's just going to go up in value, and this is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, as, as a lot of a lot of analysts have said, um, the, the the model resembles something of a Ponzi scheme. Uh, well, they don't have the same rules as other places, say Singapore, where it's required to have ninety percent sales of those apartments before you start committing uh, before you commit to build. Either yeah. you have the money there under a scrow and the building gets built. Yeah, that wasn't required. Yeah, and that's and that's I think what a lot of people are looking at uh, the problems that occurred with this in, in China with 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 Evergrande and everyone else, mm. um, and wondering, okay, well, is is the is the shoe going to drop uh, here in Cambodia? 
right. uh, in terms of, yeah, th because we simply have not had the investments coming in to the condo market. Uh, Cambodia has joined RCEP through ASEAN, which uh, had a quite a su substantial rise last year in uh, trade. I think it was up 6%, which is in decades past that would be seen as a poor figure, but at the moment it's not bad, 33 billion. Uh, and at the same time, it's announced that it intends to leave the ranks of the least developed countries by 2027. It's up for a review by the UN uh, in uh, 2024. That's going to bring with it some problems. Yeah. So when and, and 2027 is is the year that I think most most people are agreeing on is that's the year that Cambodia will finally hit the grow out. Uh, of the preference status that it gets as, as, as a less developed country and, and, and low income, although we're already at lower middle income level. But that means certain trade preferences go. And, but this has been known and recognized for a while. This, mm -hmm. isn't, this isn't coming as a shock to anybody in, in government. And that does mean uh, that uh, there's going to have to be some continued climbing up the, up the ladder of production. And we already, we do see this. We see, we see that, and we're going to see it quite a bit soon as we get the, uh, when the new government comes in and we'll see the new economic development strategy released, uh, how that's going to be moving forward with a lot of focus on uh, two areas. I mean, in addition to diversification, uh, we're also seeing a very strong focus on, on TVET, on, mm -hmm. on essentially uh, vocational education and training. Um, because one of the one of the challenges the country confronts um, is is human capital, right. and and if Cambodia and Cambodia recognizes and it's taking those steps, we see that with new manufacturing, particularly down south in in Bavet, and as we integrate that portion of Cambodia into Vietnamese uh, chains of production, but there is a labor problem. Uh, in terms of human capital, so and and there'll be a study coming out about that from from one of the major donors later this year, uh, a large-scale diagnostic study about Cambodia that'll be coming out later this year, um, which will uh, be be quite interesting to, to see. So industrial policy and industrial diversification of, of industry and moving away from low-cost garments. Some folks have said that Cambodia's already lost its comparative advantage in, in this sector. Um, I don't I don't think that's true. Well, it was never. But in 2020, but in a few years, right. we're gonna we, we can't be we can't be doing textiles. It's no, it's, it's it, time for it's it's we can be but it's time to move on. But yeah, but just to hold back a second. I mean, people talk about this competitive edge as if it like ooh you lose your edge. But one of the great reasons for Cambodia's uh, existence as a manufacturing production center is that it's not China and the brands want alternative sources and I still think this will stand Cambodia in good stead I mean you've got a couple hundred thousand people who are trained up and know how to use these machines who know how to make garments I don't think they're going to just disappear that no, we'll have it's 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 a question of of I mean in Cambodia's wage rates are still the minimum wage goes up but it's still relatively low but over time this is uh, this is what you uh, this is what you want to do you want to move out of um, this is the bottom rung of of the ladder of production uh, it's great it employs 900,000 people very large number of whom are single income uh, yeah, single female, female led households yeah from the village um, so absolutely absolutely essential economically but it's also uh, a question of having to having to keep up and keep climbing uh, in my view I think that that uh, Cambodia's enormous strength as it moves ahead is 
I mean, the irony, of course, is when you talk about Cambodia in geopolitics, it, Cambodia always discusses uh, the curse of its location. And, oh, we're, 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 we're caught yeah. here, and we're right in between, and, and uh, this is the yeah. focus of China-U.S. competition. Yeah, but if we look at a, a more, uh, we, we, we scan in a little bit more. Cambodia is the link between Thailand and Vietnam. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's they, it. If they, if they had those six-lane yeah. expressways running from the Vietnamese to the Thai border, north-south, into Laos, plus railway lines, it cannot not benefit. Yeah, and the east-west, the, the, the long, long discussed and, and planned for, and, and so much uh, east-west economic corridor, mm -hmm. uh, that, I mean, the ideal was to go from Vietnam all the way to Myanmar. Obviously, Myanmar's out now, but being able to focus on Cambodia as a transit point uh, and improving soft infrastructure, hard infrastructure, lowering customs clearance times, all of these sorts of things. Also together is, I mean, the real winner in the U.S.-China trade war and the real winner in, in uh, U.S.-Chinese uh, economic, uh, depends on your view, decoupling or de-risking, depending mm -hmm. on your politics, is, has been Vietnam. Right. And, and the, the great benefit for, for Cambodia uh, is the fact that, yes, Cambodia is next door, has, uh, and, and the ability to integrate with Vietnam is not, uh, is not, a, huge, is not a huge challenge. But it provides a real, uh, a real engine and a different engine um, for Cambodia's growth than reliance on essentially the property sector and tourism. And because we've seen what's happened in the past with that. We saw with COVID what happened when 17% of GDP well, is Tourism has sector. always been a shallow industry. The connection with Vietnam is interesting. And if you look at the uh, Asian Leaders Summit coming up September 5 to 7 in Jakarta, how there has been this uh, kind of the way commentators are talking, it's now the Philippines and Vietnam. Yeah. And the Philippines and Vietnam are discussing their own military pack in terms of securing up the, uh, the South China Sea that lies between them. And when the Foreign Minister for China, Wang Yi, came through, he made a point of uh, taking in friendly countries, i.e. Singapore, Malaysia and Cambodia. Meanwhile, Biden's talking about going to uh, Vietnam, as you said, uh, Marcos from the Philippines has been to Washington there. The schisms within Asia, particularly between the maritime and mainland mm. states, seems to be widening. And Cambodia, I think, has often been seen as a spanner in the works. It comes back to this cross-border trade. Could it improve relations? And it, there's a smart man's game to be played in there, one would think. I, well, I think they can be, the issues can be separated to some degree. Is the the economic from the from the geopolitical still uh, at this point, looking at the at the prioritization that that all of these governments give uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, to economic growth and economic development uh, as 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 a, as a key buttress for uh, for state legitimation and state right. legitimacy. And Cambodia doesn't. There, there is a question on on this, uh, which I I, I I hope, but I'm I'm not very optimistic. Of uh, this is not an issue. The South China Sea issue is just not an issue that Cambodia has any real national interest in. Indeed, uh, it is yeah. not a it is not a claimant state, it is not a border state. And I think beginning to have that discussion of well what is Cambodia's how is this actually in the national interest of, of Cambodia to spend exert any effort uh, on this. Now obviously it's it's the China question. Um, but and if but and, and, and this is an, but if China's not not fulfilling its commitments, I mean infrastructure again infrastructure funding is absolutely essential and there's a huge funding gap. Uh, and China is providing those loans, even though they're not at uh, the standard uh, 
concessionary rates we'd, we'd really like to see, and, and they don't follow the transparency rules, and God forbid there's uh, appropriate environmental and uh, social impact studies of all mm -hmm. of this. But where's the private money? And this goes back to what we were discussing earlier when we look at the Chinese economy and folks saying, yes, that is, it might be moving into a period of deflation. Uh, but we do see that Chinese savings, individual household savings, are, are strong. People simply aren't spending. They're not spending. Right. Uh, and how China directs that outward, or even if China has an interest in directing it outward in light of its own concerns domestically, it wants to, uh, remember, chi uh, China really, really wants to move forward with its dual circulation model, domestic demand driving the economy, uh, yeah. but no one's quite sure how that's going to happen. Uh, so where, where it comes to Cambodia, again, it's just uh, times have changed. We're not, the, we're not in the COVID era, and the money's not here, and that, that could raise some questions among a lot of folks. How far do you think China would go in terms of pressuring Cambodia into doing its bidding? Well, it's, it's a question of mechanisms, of, of, of well, what are the tools that, that China might have uh, to act against Cambodia? But also, what, what signal might that send? So, I mean, Cambodia is a member of ASEAN, and Cambodia does have relations with a large number of states. Could it slow down or cut uh, infrastructure investment? Sure. But there are other sources, obviously not nearly enough, uh, but uh, let's not forget that Japan, South Korea, the United States, others have been, are, are significant donors as well. But for, for China to, to make an example of Cambodia doesn't really set precedent uh, when you're, you're trying to make nice and, have, uh, and play the, 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 lovable, uh, the lovable happy panda card uh, across the rest of the globe. Hmm. I mean, Cambodia is recognized by many, many states as having received enormous amounts of Chinese private and public funding. Uh, and is frankly trotted out as this ironclad diamond cooperation framework, more pinnacle relation than any other in the world. If you suddenly, uh, you can't turn on a dime, uh, 180 degrees, and start saying that, oh well, let's punish Cambodia. It's, it's not a great look for the rest of your of your of your global campaign. Uh, it's 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 a bit of a problem if China decided to do that. And on the cabinet postings, which are going through the processes of being approved. What do you think of this whole concept of passing portfolios in that the CPP has ruled here since 1979 when the Vietnamese left, Hun Sen since the mid-80s, his cabinet, the ministers have been around him for 40 years and now they're all going to pass their portfolios to their children, mostly to their sons. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty out there concept. It's uh, generational uh, change in power is not new to Southeast Asia. This model of it is new, uh, in the sense of it's a very much we see an intra-party negotiated uh, transition, and uh, the number of folks. I think that's that's where the Cambodia story is going to strike political scientists as as as, as worthy of study as a, as a transition model. Uh, because we're not simply talking about Singapore, uh, where we saw essentially, okay, we had Go Chuck Tong, but we all knew what was coming afterwards. I mean, it's the Lee family. So, I mean, that's just one individual uh, and, 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 uh, and the family's right, interest. Here, we're cabinet. seeing, and not, and not an entire cabinet, but, but, but quite a few folks, obviously, and, and interior defense, et cetera. Um, and the power ministries really, really are being, are being handed down. I interpret it as sort of... Um, is a stabilizing strategy. It signals to quite a few folks that, uh, okay, there's not going to be a big change in relationships. That uh, the relationships you had previously are the relationships that are going to continue. We're not starting 
uh, when the when we see the formal opening of, of Parliament. It is a transition with stability. It is a transition where prior relationships will be maintained. And trust in that. So right. it's it's a technique that's been done. And again, it does not. Uh, it's it's. I can't think of any comparable case uh, where we've had this number uh, no, of, of, of folks. Um, but uh, generate. Uh, but family staying in power. I mean, we can look at. I mean, Philippine politics is a really great example. Mm. I mean, you can look at the Philippine Congress and and see how many people have. I mean, you can look, at, look to Japan. Uh, but obviously, this is very very different. We're not talking about a, a, a fully uh, that liberal democratic context. We're talking uh, about. Uh, about the Cambodian context uh, and, and having such such change, but for st for stability and for continuity, um, it's not a bad idea, uh, and it seems so far at least to have dealt with any questions of, of, of intra intra party dissent. Which Hun Sen would argue is uh, what his government is stability, stability. peace, stability. peace and stability, peace and stability. And that you get cross border trade, you get growth. Yeah. And, and that's the that's the narrative is I mean the framing has been about I mean the, the, the phrase that we see everywhere I mean I can I can go uh, walk out my front door and walk down the street and there's a large sign that says thanks peace uh, and that's become the sort of the, the slogan and but and what comes from that and what comes from that well, is we can also see a couple of hundred sorry. people who have been arrested some charged jail independent media closed down and this is going to be the as we scroll back because it's not just the ream question that will cause problems and is going to continue to Indeed, cause problems it's, in US relations. it's there it's exact i mean the european union i mean we we tend to always mm. think of it in the us context um, but the EU as well, I mean, we saw obviously the Europeans removed EBA status several years ago. Um, Sweden moved its uh, closed its residential embassy here, and uh, they're still open for, for civil society aid programs. The but Americans are threatening more sanctions and visa restrictions because of the elections. So it's, it's, that, that story's not over. Uh, right. And is, is, isn't this where the rub lies? In that um, for Cambodia, to improve its economic prospects, it has to change. But the problem is this change does not look likely despite the transfer generational shift in power. I concur that change doesn't look likely. That, that, uh, that, again, that, that continuity that I've been talking about is, I think, continuity across quite a bit. Mm. Although I, uh, there will be improvements in governance in various areas, the economic focus, et cetera. But it, we're, we're talking majority-wise the story of, of continuity. At the same time, there's, I think there's space for a, a, a discussion. Um, and I think this discussion that Cambodia needs about its foreign policy or its relationship with the United States, uh, as uh, there's so much genuine incre incredulity uh, uh, on the Cambodian side. Uh, and, and when you listen to the argument and the critique that's made of the West, um, saying, well, why do we get so much stick? Look at Vietnam, look at Laos. Mm -hmm. I mean, they are straight out single party dictatorships, et cetera. Sure. Why does Cambodia get so much stick for being, it, it, it's, it's status quo. And on a lot of levels, Cambodia is a more open society than, than our neighbors, Vietnam and Laos. There's the, the right. educational institutions, et cetera. There are still spaces. I mean, Steve Levitsky at Harvard's famous uh, qualification of competitive authoritarianism. Um, although many have argued that we've now shifted out of that out of that model, but for Cambodia, if you're if you're making a straight comparison, then yeah, there's the Cambodian objection of we're not Vietnam, we're not Laos. Uh, why do we get all of this uh, stuff uh, when when these others seem to get a pass? 
But that also needs to go to the question of why. Why the West? Why Washington, et cetera? Um, do maintain that narrative to such to such an extent, and, and how much the investment in the 1990s, I still see it as a, a legacy very much of the enormous investment in the 1990s in Cambodian democracy, the enormous investment in state building, enormous investment in nation building, um, which did not succeed along the lines remotely that was, that was planned at the time. Um, but trying to uh, have a more open uh, discussion of, yeah, this is, this is for them, this is, seems at least for one side to be uh, still, still weighing on, on the West's approach to Cambodia. Um, but Cambodia being able to have a, a, have a clear understanding or at least uh, begin to open up that box of, well, here's why the criticism is coming. It's not just you, but okay. And perhaps a little bit more frank dialogue between the two sides it wouldn't on the hurt. topic. It would not hurt. It, I could see a solid track two diplomacy uh, along these lines, which would be uh, very useful. And on that note, Bradley Merg, it's always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Luke. Great to be here.